what I tell my customers is when I make a recommendation to them, this is how I would spend my money. So let's spend our money wisely to get the maximum dollar return long term. Welcome to the Small Business Celebration Podcast, where we interview successful small business owners as we guide you to a strong and profitable business. Today, our guest is Mark Hale of Shock Doc Enterprises, and we're going to learn how to best convey empathy to your customers. Also, we're going to learn best practices for payment for services rendered and how to cultivate a stellar referral business. But before we get into this wide-ranging interview, let's hear a quick message from our sponsors. Tim McNeely with Lifestone Wealth Management understands that most entrepreneurs like you simply want to make a difference in the lives of the people they love and the causes they care about. In order to do that, you need assistance in solving all of your unique financial needs. The problem is, your current financial advisor wants to talk about what a great job they are doing managing your investment portfolio, and that can leave you feeling frustrated and misunderstood. Tim believes you deserve financial advice that moves beyond your portfolio. Tim understands that you need advice on minimizing taxes, taking care of the next generation, and protecting your hard-earned assets, all while supporting the causes you are passionate about. That is why, for the last 20 years, Tim has focused on providing advice beyond investments. Here's how it works. First, you and Tim meet, and he learns what really matters to you. Then, Tim presents a plan for moving forward, making real progress towards achieving your most important goals. To get started, contact Tim at lifestonewm.com. That's lifestonewm.com. And start making a difference in the lives of the people you love and the causes you care about. Fellow small business owners, let me ask you something. Can your employees explain your business to their loved ones in one sentence or less. Now, imagine your customers and clients and how they feel. Small Business Celebration guides small business owners like yourself to a strong and successful business through coaching and customized workshops. Small Business Celebration can guide you and your business through a seven-step process to clarify your message, a message that will be effective in your elevator pitch, your marketing, and be memorable to your customers and clients. If you want to clarify your message, increase your business presence, and become memorable in your marketing material, join us at smallbusinesscelebration.com. Clarify your message. Be memorable. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com today. Welcome, business owners. Today, our guest is Mark Hale with Shock Doc Enterprises. He is a mobile diesel electric diagnostics and repair firm who focuses on heavy-duty trucks, trailers, RVs, buses, oil field equipment, emergency equipment, and more. As well, he sells a wide variety of associated parts, including starters, alternators, battery cables, terminals, equalizers, switches, and just about anything else that's electric (laughs) on a heavy-duty vehicle. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be here. Mark has been in business on his own for 16-plus years. He graduated from the Universal Technical Institute, graduating in from the Diesel Mechanics course, and graduated Alpha Beta Honor Society. Congratulations. I did that. Thank you very much. 
He also holds a dual ASC master certification in both medium heavy-duty truck repair and school bus repair, as well as advanced electronic diesel engine diagnostic certification. How did you go about getting these certifications? You basically fill out the forms, uh-huh. send them in. If they believe you've had the appropriate amount of field experience, which you have to qualify with certain employer references, mm-hmm. uh, then they will send you a ticket. You show up on the appropriate evening in this town. It's at Bakersfield College. You sit in a large amphitheater with a, lo- with a, a, a rather um, large grouping of other individuals. They hand you a booklet and a pencil and tell you to go sit down. <laughs> And you get a, you get a certain amount of time to take the the all the, the tests you're going to take all have to be done in a certain period of time. It starts at this time, it ends at that time, whether you're finished or not. And do they give you the your results as soon as you get done taking? the No, test? you have to wait. Uh, it's like six to eight week sort of situation. You know, like uh, we're sitting in cereal box tops. Um, <laughs> but no, they will send you a notification eventually that tells you uh, everything that you have passed and anything you haven't. And I am quite proud to say that having been taking these since 1981, I have yet to not pass a test I've taken. Well, excellent. And how often do you have to get recertified? You have to be recertified uh, every five years. And the original tests are upwards of 100 questions. Mm-hmm. The recertification tw- tests can be as few as 45 to 50. Mm-hmm. So the recertification is really asking you about newer information on newer vehicles, newer technology. How do you stay educated and, and up to date on the changes in technology? Um, I read any pamphlets I can get my hands on, uh, and most of the rest of it is hands-on. Mm-hmm. Typically, I'll see a vehicle once it's out of warranty. Mm-hmm. If it's under warranty, it probably ends up at the dealership, and they always have greater resources than the rest of us. Right. But then I'll end up taking a look at it at some point after that. And the multiplexing systems, those kinds of things, they're all pretty consistent the names change, mm-hmm. the locations change, the locations change depending on the year it's made. Sometimes two uh, modules become a single module tucked someplace else, but it's a matter of taking all those years of uh, hands-on training and experience and uh, a really good grasp of basic electrical fundamentals, how all the machinery on the truck works anyway, sure. and applying it to, hmm, this looks new. <laughs> Do we have a schematic? Let's start with a schematic. <laughs> Excellent. And so when you got started in this line of work, you started right out of college, right? Straight out of tech school, I ended up uh, as a mechanic for a v- vacuum trucking company in the oil oh. field. Oh, okay. And it was baptism by fire. <laughs> nice, nice. 117 degrees in the middle of a field somewhere with grease and oil dripping everywhere, I'm sure. Yep, yep. It, it, it was, uh, but it was a really valuable experience because I was exposed to almost all of the equipment being used at that time in the oil field, right. which included the, the trucking end of the oil field. Uh, so I had a really good grasp of that uh, and a lot of hands-on experience with it. And then by 1985, I went to work for an outfit that specialized in rebuilding starters and alternators. Right. And within a few months, I became the service tech because I already had field experience. Mm. I was already trained as a mechanic. And the boss who used to teach diagnostics for Delco Remy recognized I had a hell of an aptitude for it. So with some of his um, uh, basically honing my skills, mentorship, yes, um, I began doing service for him. I've been specializing in this kind of repair ever since. So why did you... Now, going into business for yourself is risky because when you go and you've got a good, safe, secure, reliable job, 
Why did you take the gamble and go out on your own? Well, and I did that in the December of, I made the decision in October of 2001. Mm -hmm. While everyone I knew or I worked with was going, oh, don't do it now. Now's a terrible time. You don't want to do it now. And I went, but I'm going to. (laughs) What what, what was the motivation? The the motivation was um, at the time to actually start my own business because I had considered it off and on for years. Right. And I had trained myself over the years of running other people's service businesses Mm -hmm. to run my own business. And my ultimate goal was to either run someone else's business at the time I was working at the county or to run my own. And I found the politics of working at the county harder to navigate than, than I would have appreciated. And it, when it came to I needed to move up into the only open position that was going to be open for an extended period of time, right. or I needed to move on, mm-hmm. when I couldn't move up, that's exactly what I did was I moved on. And I had always kept the idea of having my own business. I had a, a, a model for that business. I knew how I would treat my customers. I had very good service instincts and very good feedback from my customers. Um, I had managed other people's service businesses before. Right. And I, and I said it was time. I had to make that choice at some point. It gave me more control. Right. Which apparently I'm a bit of a control freak. <laughs> it gave me less <laughs> um, um, uh, layers above me of decision making mm-hmm. so I could make good smart choices in the field. And I only had to explain to the customer the smart way to spend their money, the, the reason we need to do this, the reason we don't need to do that, et right. cetera. And I didn't have to then convince someone else who didn't ha- even have my training and who really didn't want to make those choices. And it, it worked out much better for me. And in the long run, for doing the same basic work, mm-hmm. it pays better. Uh, Ultimately, if you're going to be in that business, that service-related business, I wanted to own it. I wanted sure. to be able to maximize my monetary return on my sweat, equity, and my labor. Okay. You said this is a service-based business. So taking care of the customer is key. Absolutely. How do you, what, is your, what is your philosophy about taking care of the customer? How do you go about doing that? My basic philosophy is when I look at a piece of equipment, I look at it to see is this just a simple repair because, you know, certain parts wear out and mm-hmm. fail. Um, or was this something that could have been prevented if it were engineered somewhat differently or we'd use different parts or they were simply wired differently, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And what I tell my customers is when I make a recommendation to them, this is how I would spend my money. Ah, there it is. I, I don't, I won't waste your money. Even if we, even if we have to spend a larger sum of money today than you planned, mm-hmm. it's going to buy you longevity and less downtime and less maintenance, and we won't have this problem again, potentially for the life of this vehicle. Right, right. So let's spend our money wisely to get the maximum dollar return long-term instead of every so often we're throwing that same amount of money at it over and over again because the same inherent problem will keep cropping back up. Sure, sure. So the, the key on all this is empathy, is because this is how I would spend my money yes. to solve this problem. Yes, exactly. You started out working for somebody else. You yes. became an expert in your your field. And you put a lot of thought and a lot of energy into formulating essentially a business plan on how you would put this business together and how you'd run it and how you'd treat the customer. I did, yes. How, how do you, with all this forethought and all this planning, how do you manage your cash flow when you could go through periods of time where there's lots of activity going on and then periods of time when there isn't? 
Well, um, admittedly, mm-hmm. I have never shied away from explaining to a customer, and I, I will tell them this right up front, first job out of the gate, is I like to get paid up front. Mm. If you will pay me now, I will trust you to pay me later on a, on a charge basis. Mm-hmm. And I've found historically over the years when working for other people, people that were trustworthy when you said, I'm going to need you to pay me today for this job because we don't have an established relationship, they went, oh, okay. Right. And they paid you. The people that hemmed and hawed and, and struggled to come up with a comm check and had to make a dozen phone calls, they were an inherent credit risk. Mm. Um, so I tell my customers up front and if part of my almost daily ritual is to look at my accounts receivable mm-hmm. and in the afternoon is call customers and go, Hey, I see you have this invoice that's 45 days <laughs> and you know, I'm just a one man operation and I can't be anybody's bank. I'm wondering if I can come pick up a check tomorrow. Sure. Sure. And I don't mind doing that. I'll do that very politely. Um, it, almost, almost without fail, people go, oh, I didn't realize. I work for a lot of other small businesses, a mm. lot of little family-owned operations. Mm. And this, sometimes the wife is paying the bills after her other job, and things fall to the crack. And when I remind people, the cash flows. And I stay on top of that, and that's important to me. And in times when they're lean, I try to minimize my expenses. Mm-hmm. I have certain set expenses built in but I try to minimize my expenses. That is how I just try to keep the wolf away from the door in that aspect. Sure, sure. Is to look ahead and, and keep a feel for how often the phone is ringing, for how consistently those appointments are being lined up, et mm-hmm. cetera. And when the phone starts getting silent, start looking at ways that I don't need to spend that right now. I'll spend that next month if. I don't mm-hmm. need to drive over there now. I'll catch that when I'm doing something else to save fuel costs, et cetera. Would you go into a little bit of detail on what your competitive advantage is over your competition? Well, the reality is, is you either have just general mechanics, right. sometimes basic fleet repair mechanics. Right. I'm the last person locally who specializes in heavy-duty diesel electric diagnostics. There used mm. to be a couple of outfits in town, and there right. used to be a handful of people. And I'm, I guess, the last of the dinosaurs in that aspect. <laughs> um, there, there is at least one automotive wiring place in town, right. and occasionally a customer will have a problem with a car. He's having a problem with a power window. He's having a problem with a sunroof. He's had a fire in his Cadillac. I will push them in that direction. Right. Take it to the automotive people with the shop that do what they do well. My specialty is if you have equipment that makes you money, Mm. and it's broke down, you it's, tell me where it is, I will be there as soon as I can possibly be without lying to a customer about a previous appointment, and I will get it running, spending the least of your money possible to do that. I see to it that people don't have to beat their head against that rock to get that equipment back on the road, get it out there making money, and know that it, in a day and a half, you're not going to have the same problem. This, I would... Garnered a venture that having this service available allows you to get phone calls at the most interesting times of day or night. On occasion, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How do you keep these phone calls from consuming your entire life? To be honest, one way is I have limited advertising. Hmm. 
So one of the markets I'm not trying to capture mm-hmm. um, because it could be overwhelming for an individual uh, in my business in a way that isn't necessarily profitable or um, compatible with having an actual life is I'm not advertising at the truck stops. Mm. I'm not trying to capture that passing through town business. My customers are here. They're local. They'll repeat. They'll recommend me to customers from out of town, friends that they have uh, out of the area, et cetera. Um, But my customer base is here. Mostly within the evening, their equipment's parked. Mm. So while if they need me, absolutely. I'll absolutely be there. It isn't that hectic a schedule within the evenings or on the weekends. Sometimes it's more hectic than others, but it's not to the point that it's ever really caused me any kind of um, stressful life consequences. What this also tells me is you're able to have this success because of a very hard-fought reputation. Uh, word of mouth is almost my only advertising source. And, and how did you cultivate that? Um, by fixing things. <laughs> um, many years ago, many years ago, uh-huh. I was standing at a repair shop where I had stopped by after my regular job, and I'd fixed something for a gentleman who was one of my mentors. Right. His mechanics had been working on it for, he figured, six hours, and they'd given up. Mm. And I showed up, and within about 30 minutes, I'd figured out what was wrong with it, and I'd solved the problem. And as mechanics tend to do towards the late afternoon, it's pushing 6 p.m., we're all gathered around having a bit of a bull session. Mm -hmm. When a truck driver comes in, and I'm still quite young, I don't have a gray hair one in my beard, (laughs) and he walks up to the older mechanic right across from me and starts asking him about this electrical problem he's having with his truck. And the mechanic stopped him and pointed at me and said, do you want to ask that guy? And he looked at me with a certain amount of disdain. Well, you didn't have any gray hair. I didn't have any gray hair. I couldn't know what I was talking about. (laughs) And he went back to asking Max uh, the same question. And Max stopped him again and said, no, you want to ask the doc there? Because if he can't fix it, nobody can. Ah, And I went, oh, that's the name. Shock doc. Oh, I like that. I like that. And that really, for the most part, is the reputation. When people talk to me about... So, so and so told me to call you. Right. Because he said you can fix anything. So and so said to call you because they had three people look at this mm-hmm. and you were the one that came in and fixed it. So and so had to call me because you solved the problem that was driving him crazy and nobody else could. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of feedback and it's the kind of thing that I've really worked my entire adult life. Mm-hmm. to accomplish. It gives me a sense of satisfaction beyond the monetary mm-hmm. and to know that my customers know that if I promise them something, I'll follow through. And if it's within my abilities, I will fix that problem for them. And if I can't, I'll tell them up front. I will not waste their time and their money. I will tell them when you're better off to call the dealership. Sure. They sure. all have resources. I don't, etc. And sometimes I get to tell people, you shouldn't have paid for that tow truck and let it sit at that dealership for three days. I could have fixed it on the side of the road that evening, and you could have been out making money with it. But hindsight. Hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> How has the customer changed for you in the last 10 years? Um, for one thing, because of the recession right. and the crash in the oil market, which were you know double whammy, one causing the other, so to speak. Right. Um, the change in the way oil is gotten out of the ground with hydrofracking, et cetera. Right. Um, a lot of these smaller companies that you do business with go away. 
Right. If they're not really profitable, come a recession, they just don't exist anymore. Mm. If they have a good system and they're and they're they're producing, quite often they're bought up by a Halliburton or um, Insign, etc. Sure. So a lot of the smaller businesses will just one day they just don't exist. And that's one of the things that you see. And I'm, I'm certain that long-term, that's always been the way it works. So you have new players come in. They establish themselves. If they've got a good product, well, they're bought by somebody with much more resources sure. who wants to take that product and spread it around the world and, and other applications. And interacting with the customer, how has the interaction with the customer changed in the last 10 years? Um, you don't need to have an ad in the phone book anymore, for one. <laughs> <laughs> or a placemat at Zingo's. <laughs> or play, well, no, but <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it definitely is my customer base at Zingo's. Um, and honestly, credit cards hmm. is payment by credit card. Right. It's become the thing, I'd say at one time, maybe, maybe when I first started this business taking credit cards, I was probably doing 3 to 5% of my business with credit cards. Right. And these days, that's probably 40% of my business or more, mm. is people just pay everything with a credit card, or they just keep a credit card on file at the end of the job. I just bill it, email them a copy of the invoice, et cetera. And you're able to do all this remotely from your truck? From my truck. My, my service truck, which if someone goes to callshock.com, they will see it is an office. It is a tool house. It is a parts store. It is an on-site um, uh, diagnostic lab. When it shows up, I'm equipped to go to work. And one of those is I, I have an office right in my cab. And the modern telephone allows you to then immediately hotspot and run a credit card, uh, collect information online that you might not otherwise have had access to, to look up this component and go, oh, there you go. There's the PDF that tells us how to wire that up. Hang on a minute. I'll fix that for you. Sure. There's an, it, the electronic end of it is an amazing resource in the field these days. How do you see your industry changing and adjusting in the future? The thing I look at down the road uh -huh. is self-driving vehicles, okay. the complexity of that, and the likelihood of proprietary software, proprietary controls. No one can get into it unless they're this dealership. No one can get into it unless they're uh. that dealership. Uh, that kind of thing. It's maybe it's like uh, nuclear fusion. Maybe it's always twenty years off. Right. But it is the thing that's actively being worked on the hardest, and it's the thing I have to keep an eye open for. When does that self-driving truck start running up and down I five? Right. And taking the driver and the smaller outfits out of the equation. So you think that. This will take away from, oh, gee, there's a, something wrong in the wiring loom of my truck to suddenly everything is locked up and proprietary. And That is a reality. Yeah, that, that, that is a point that's coming. There's certain things that are almost that way now with diagnostics that if you're not a dealership, you can't even figure out what the, 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 the vehicle is complaining about. Right. You know, this doesn't work, but there's a, a light. Well, if I could had the software that International sells, I could at least find out what that light is telling us, but I can't. Sure, sure, sure. At the end of the day, what is it that you really do for your customers? I problem solve. Okay. That is the thing I do. Mm -hmm. Partly is to make sure that the problem they're having today isn't a problem they're going to have tomorrow. Mm-hmm that the problem they're having today is going to be fixed in the most timely and, and uh, cost-effective manner possible. Mm -hmm. That isn't always the cheapest. 
Mm. The cheapest doesn't always buy you good durability, but it's the most cost-effective. And I also free up their people to do what they do well. Mm -hmm. The number of jobs I've done in the last 30-plus years that I've done this kind of work where someone had already thrown so much money at a problem with parts and so many hours in-house and the problem was still there that I solved in less than two hours and for probably a third of the cost they'd already spent is kind of staggering. But that also comes from experience. You know, it's the old adage of a, a, a person walks into an ad agency and the the in-house artist goes through and puts together a logo for them in 10 minutes flat and then charges them five grand to do it. It's the the reason for the five grand is the last 20 or 30 years of experience being able to do that. One of the smartest things um, one of the teachers in tech school taught, taught all of us, it was our diesel uh, engine course instructor, was that you're not being paid for what you do. You're being paid for what you know. Right. And as a small business owner, as someone who what, the only thing that puts bread on the table is the value of what you can accomplish and the value of what you know. It was something that I always embraced, and it's something I would always recommend to someone else. Know your own worth. This is, this is the value I bring to the table. These mm-hmm. are the advantages I bring. And that has a certain cost. It's not really that expensive. Sure. But it has a certain cost, and I'm worth that much money. And I, I would also venture to add to that that what – which your customers are also paying for. And yes, your knowledge base is rather significant, but it's also the quality of customer service. It's the dependability. Right. It's the, um, the reality with my repeat customers is they know when I, they call me mm-hmm. that I'm not going to string them along. Right. I'm not going to push them back because someone else called unless it's a really unique situation and they've already told me that they're not time sensitive. We, tri- we have to triage certain things. Sure. Uh, I'm going to give them reliable service. If I promise to be there, I'm going to be there. Right. If I could fix it, I'm going to fix it. If it if it's something that can't be diagnosed and fixed right there, I'm going to be honest with them about it. I'm not going to uh, try to weave a tail to, to uh, uh, cushion my own ego. I'm going to provide them a really good value for the money and get them back in the game as soon as possible. One of the things I'd also like to ask you about on this too, and this is a a black eye that is that is on a lot of the repair industry, is somebody comes in, they've got a, something wrong with their vehicle, something's wrong with their truck, and you go through and you diagnose the problem, you go ahead and solve it, they get it back out on the road again, and the same problem happens again, only to find that, no, what you fixed wasn't what the real problem was. How do you go about, from a customer service standpoint, taking care of the customer when that kind of a situation arises? That that situation where I believe I fixed it, only to find out later on that something else happened, is fortunately for me fairly rare. Right. I, I think it speaks to my skill set, but it occasionally happens, and all I can do in those rare situations where that happens is go, how can I fix this for you? Mm-hmm. So if it's required, where's it at? Let me go look at it. Let me go look at it right now while it's doing it. Right. Because the great, the, the greatest bane of any diagnostic, diagnostic technician is, you know, last Tuesday uh. for about five minutes, <laughs> right. it did this one thing. Right. 
I haven't, it hasn't done it since. It's not doing it now, but I need you to make sure it never does it again. Right, right, right. So there are those situations where you can think you've had a problem solved because it wasn't present when you were working on it and you've made your best educated guess. And if the problem crops back up, all you can do is be there, hopefully see the problem while it is current, mm -hmm. while it is manifesting itself. Convince other people to stop trying to fix it for you before you arrive. That's always very helpful. <laughs> and then do whatever it takes to get that problem solved. There's a great website called There I Fixed It. And if you get, ever get an opportunity to take a look at it, it's just absolutely hysterical. A lot of duct tape. I'm picturing a lot of duct tape. <laughs> what business book have you read that you wish that you had read earlier in your business career? Um. The the one book that really caught me like that was Rich Dad Poor Dad. Oh, Robert Kiyosaki. It, it, yes, absolutely, and it was um, kind of kind of life changing to look at it like because at that point I was the classic American married husband with enormous amount of credit card debt and you know you gotta buy things the kids need shoes you know that kind of thing um, and it was something that I wish that I had had before I graduated high school. Why that? Because that that notion of no 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 wait don't don't buy that now you don't you don't need that now. Uh, looking back on it, there's a lot of things that I bought in my adult life. They're just stuff sitting on shelves, being dusted, or they don't even exist anymore. Not now. Let's save that money. Let's squirrel that away. Let's focus that money towards a better investment. Uh, let's put that back into the business, etc as opposed to just fulfilling that need at the moment because this object is shiny. Sure. And that is something I really wished. It's a place I've, 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 I've certainly fell down in my adult life, and it's something I wished I'd have known younger, which is one reason why I gifted that book hmm. to my own son mm -hmm. uh, before he graduated high school. Mm -hmm. Don't know that he got as much out of it as I did. <laughs> he made 20 years from now. And I will not lie to anybody and say that the minute I read it, I absolutely cleaned my act up and I got rid of you know, that, getting rid of some of that debt was a 20-year process. But, um, yeah, that, it, it, it's, it's a tremendous book, not just for personal finances, but even in a business aspect of what's required, mm -hmm. what, where are we spending our money smartly, and how can we not waste it, and how can we make that money work for us better. When it's 4 o'clock in the morning, in the middle of the winter, and the Thule fog is so thick that you can't even see your hand in front of your nose. And you get that phone call of that oil rig that is out in back 40 somewhere that's having an electrical problem. What gets you out of bed in the morning to go do this? First thing, Pavlov. <laughs> I don't care what time, day or night. My wife says this is one of my greatest talents. I pick that phone up and I go, hi, this is Mark. Can I help you? From a dead sleep, man. From a dead sleep. I've been doing it so long because I want to appear professional. I don't want them to feel like they're bothering me or interrupting right. me or whatever that is. And I'll ask them the appropriate questions. By the way, one of my skills and one of the great skills every mechanic needs is learning how to ask customers questions to get them to tell you the information you need, not what they think they want to tell you. Right, right. And basically, where's it at? Get the location. Who am I going to see when I get there? Do I need to be brought through a gate, etc.? This is how far away I am. I'm throwing the uniform on now. I'm heading that way. Sounds like it's more than about making money. 
It is. For me, personally, it is. Why do you enjoy what you do? Um, it's the detective work. Mm. It's, it's that, that ability to look at something, and as uh, has been said by people that are much smarter than I am, electricity is invisible. Hmm. We, can't, we can see a hydraulic leak. We can see an oil leak. We can hear an air leak. With electricity, you have this intangible force that you cannot see. You must measure it, hmm. and you must trust what your readings tell you. And if they don't seem correct, you must be able to look at it and know why. Hmm. And that requires detective work. It is asking the right question mm -hmm. from the person operating the vehicle. And sometimes one of my greatest resources is to talk to the operator, not three <laughs> people down the chain who've been playing telephone about the problem. Go straight to the source. Is to ask the right questions right. so I can get the actual symptoms, not somebody's, oh, we think it's got a short. Okay, why? Right. What is it doing? What is it not doing? And then understanding how the system works to look at the symptoms and do the detective work that says, okay, we have this to this point. We have that to that point. Why don't we have this? Mm. And that detective work, that problem solving, that diagnostics, mm -hmm. that is actually very satisfying, especially in those instances, you know, where, well, we, we've had three mechanics look at it and we keep having the same problem and they keep, they've changed this, they've changed that, and they've, thro they've thrown $1,500 out of it at it. We still don't know what's wrong with it. Right. Okay. 45 minutes later, here, here you go. Here's your problem sure. right here. Followed the voltage. Here's where the voltage ended. It shouldn't have ended. This is our problem. There you go. $150 invoice and the damn thing's going down the highway and the problem's gone. That's personally very satisfying. That's personally very satisfying to be able to do that. What would you give to the new business owner who's starting out? What piece of advice would you give them? Um, one of the greatest mistakes I made mm -hmm. in the very first year that I owned my own business where I subcontracted back to a friend who now owned the business he and I used to both work for. Mm -hmm. So he ran the service, he ran the parts department, I ran the service department, which was mostly just me, admittedly. Mm -hmm. And now he owned that business and he needed a service department. And so I subcontracted back to him. And I believed, after 10 years of knowing each other, after watching our children be born and raised, that if there was anybody I could trust, it would be him. Mm. And I do trust that when he would tell me he was going to pay me, in that moment, he believed himself. <laughs> he was spinning that lie that he would believe it just as much as I would. And what I realized was, ultimately, the only thing that matters is whether or not they pay the bill. All the promises in the world, the friendships, they're terrific. It's good to have friends, and it's good to have a working relationship with a friend. But you have to be paid. And you can't, even with a friend who you think you know, mm -hmm. if they're promising to pay you and they don't, that tells you more about them than you realized. That was the hardest lesson I had to learn was that I couldn't trust somebody. I was convinced I could trust. Right. And surviving that first year with the amount of money he never paid me and filed, he filed bankruptcy on, I believed at that point I could survive pretty much anything. But that was a really important lesson to learn was, I like you, but this is still a business. 
And as a business, we're grown adults. I'm going to do this thing for you, but I'm going to need to be paid. Let's make those arrangements first. Sure, sure. And now I, now that we've got that out of the way, I will be there. I will, I will problem solve. I will see to it that come next month, I'm still in business to do this for you and for the next guy. That we're not sitting here basically straining over this notion of you thought you were going to pay me, right. but I'm still not paid. Right, <laughs> right, right. It's, it's an important lesson to learn. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking with Shock Doc, Mark Hale of Shock Doc Enterprises. For all of your diesel electric uh, needs, and I'm not going to try to go through that mouthful again, (laughs) you can give them a call at 661-342-1354, or you can find them online at callshockdoc.com. That's C-A-L-L-S-H-O-C-K-D-O-C dot com. Again, thank you for being on the podcast, and I'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it very much. You have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you may find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. And that's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. Also, if you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. If there is a business in the California, San Joaquin Valley you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I am your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.